Welcome to Writing in the Dark, where two friends explore getting lost in the writing process, finding our way through rich storytelling, and the importance of creative community. With me, Julia F. Green. And me, Ralph Walker. In season two, we'll be examining the joy of making a mess while writing novels. So grab a donut, top off your beverage of choice, and join us for this conversation. The most interesting stuff happens when people, humans, are pushed to the brink. And that's where great story comes from. You're taking your character to the brink so that you can let them transform into the next version of themselves. The journey to get there is the part of the novel that becomes the most compelling. Hi, Julia. Hey, Ralph. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited for this conversation. We're already into it. So, you know. (laughs) Yeah, no, I think... One of the things that I'm excited about is, you know, when we talk about story and you talk about the spark of how stories get made, there's something like just so delightful about like reliving those moments of like, how did you come up with that? Where did that come mm, from? And it's yeah. so exciting. You know, I'm, I'm not going to lie. It's this is a giddy conversation. So Absolutely. we're going to have some fun. So. <laughs> yeah, I think for a lot of us, the ideas are the fun part, right? The world is full of stories. The news is full of stories. We hear overheard snippets of dialogue here and there. Mm-hmm. And I think in some ways, the writing of the story is the hard part. Yep. But the coming up with the ideas, and that is just my idea of a good time. Yeah, same, same. And the best part about it, too, is you can do it anywhere at any time with anybody all by yourself or you can be with 100 people and you can you can have a blast with this kind of stuff. So so we're going to talk about some fun stuff today. I want to know, I know you're writing a novel. I know you've written lots of other stuff. Do you have a particular source for your ideas? Do they come at you morning, noon and night? How does it work in that brain of yours? dangerous questions. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you wrote it. So <laughs> yeah, I did. I did write that question. You're right. For me, it's, it is very much about like either a character or a setting or a moment and taking that element and then colliding it with, you know, something that is, is an itch that I haven't figured out how to scratch yet. So I'll tell you a story about how I generated a story <laughs> first thing. Um, and this is not about my novel. This is about something else. But mm. there's a spot in New Jersey where there is a an overpass over a highway. It was an overpass to connect two areas of woods to allow deer to get from one side of the highway to the other side of the highway without having to run across the cars and killing people and things like that. This was also a period of time where there were a lot of things going on related to the southern border in the United States. And for whatever reason, those two things found each other. And Mm -hmm. I started to think about how would I take this crossing over a boundary and then take some characters that are trying to cross a boundary and Mm -hmm. collide all these things together and see where it goes. Um, and so I wrote a piece called uh, Deer Crossing um, mm. that turned into a, to a short film. And for me, that was a perfect example, taking the kind of flint of the world that we observe and then asking a question 
um, that would be the kind of steel of like, well, what would happen here and why would it happen here? Mm -hmm. And then seeing what sparks fly out of that. I love the way that you said that because almost all of us, I think, are able to come up with ideas and we have lots of things that fascinate us or interest us. Mm -hmm. But it's almost that second building block that you put on top of the first one that is crucial to taking an idea from just sort of a a whim or something a little thinner to something a little bit more substantial. And I remember that period of time for me, it was when my spouse broke his leg quite badly and was unable to walk for a few months. And I kept thinking about walking and what it means to be able to walk, to move your body through space and what it might mean if that's your only path to survival. I kind of spun on these ideas around this theme for a while and then eventually wrote an essay Mm -hmm. called Dislocation. Um, It is fascinating to me the way that the personal and our sort of day-to-day anecdotal noticings can very easily intersect with what's happening in the world at large. And that can be but one kind of jumping off point to layering the story, I think. I love that. And and I think one thing that helps an idea rise from just, you know, a spark or an idea into something that becomes, that has enough meat to it to really drive a story is that it is both personal and universal. Mm -hmm. And, and that, that ability to find something that is, you know, why are there, why are there a million love stories? Mm. Well, because Everybody has a personal connection to a love story and everybody can relate to a love story. And yet it is deep and personal and affecting. And so it's a wonderful thing to write about. It's a wonderful thing to explore. And everybody has a different version of it. Mm -hmm. Um, I find ideas through my observations of others or observations of the world. And then I think those ideas really take hold when I understand how they're affecting to me. And then it turns into the thing of now, how do I reflect it back in a way that makes it personal to everybody else? Right. (laughs) Yeah. You say those steps as if they happen quickly and easily. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. No, absolutely not. I think particularly what you just articulated, which is that often we see things in the world and they capture our attention and we don't fully know why. And often for me, the writing process is kind of discovering where that connection lands internally and come back with my obsessions and then go, why am I so interested in these specific things? That's a fun part of the discovery process of writing, and it can be a challenge sometimes too, I think. I mean, well, let's go back to that for a second, because, you know, when you're generating ideas, when you're in that stage of being open to taking in new ideas because I think mm. I think ideas are almost more consumed than generated in some ways. How do you start to filter them? What's sticky to you? I think a really basic metric is how often I come back to it in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um a uh, wonderful and challenging thing about me is that I find tons of things interesting and fascinating, mm-hmm. but I'm a little bit like a kid. Some of them I'll be obsessed with for four and a half seconds. So I often look out for what keeps coming back to me. Mm-hmm. You know, an example of that is I'm working on a piece of flash fiction that I still don't know 100% what it's about, but all of us, I'm going to say, 
remember when the Titan submersible departs sea level, descends and implodes. Mm -hmm. And this was international news. And we read and we were fascinated about it. And there were plenty of hot takes and there was plenty of, I think it's easy to denounce the rich guys, which isn't inappropriate necessarily. But I kept coming back to it and I kept wondering, what is the sticky bit for me in this? Is Mm -hmm. it that a bunch of rich guys died? Not really. Mm-hmm. I ended up realizing that I was interested in the son who was on that submersible, who mm-hmm. his mother was supposed to go. And then in the end, she traded spots with him. And I got really into that. I kept coming back to it. I kept coming back to it, both when it was happening and then in the aftermath and the months after. I thought, oh, this person, these people are still gone. How are their lives reorganizing and the lives of the people around them reorganizing after this event? Um, so when it sticks, I pick at it to try to figure out what the sticking point is. Yeah. And eventually, hopefully, I get there. Yeah, I what I hear you doing there, which is similar to what I do, is when you can identify a character or a pair of characters, something that has some friction to it, and then you can identify a scenario that escalates there's some real power to that to kind of mm-hmm. see where it goes, right? It's kind of the roller coaster effect of like, oh, come on over, get in the car with me. Yeah, we'll put the seatbelt on. Great. <laughs> click, 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 click. Whoa! You know, all of a sudden you're off, off and running. And for me, that part is so fascinating. How are you going to make this thing worse and also still plausible and also still interesting? And who would ever do that? Why would they do it? It just opens up this, you know, encyclopedia of questions, each one of them more fascinating than the next. Yeah, I think you use the word friction, which I really like. I'm always looking for where is the friction in a story because friction can become propulsive energy, as you just said. Mm -hmm. A story has an evolution in it. And that's, I think, what's interesting when we think about ideas An idea is different from a story, and even a setup is different from a story. And this is, I think, also comes back to the kind of personal and universal. Um, What are we going to keep picking away at? What are we going to keep sort of looking for more and more layers of? It's the stuff that touches us personally in some way and feeds our desire to keep going with that story and see what happens next and see what happens next. There's so much in what you just said there, but I think when we make art of any kind. Part of the process of making art is allowing yourself to fall in love with whatever it is Mm. that you're making. And it also is allowing yourself to, in many ways, become obsessed with it, giving yourself permission to say, this is something I need to spend time with. I need to make space for. And for me, and I know for you, it is important that the things that we're making space for in our own lives do have a personal piece to them, Mm -hmm. right? Where am I in that? And what am I obsessed with in that part of the story? When I can answer that, that's when I know I've got something to really chew on. Mm. Yeah. One of the things that I find entertaining about my own writing practice is coming to that understanding of where am I in the story is very much a part of the journey. It is not something I understand out of the gate. I understand there are definitely writers who do have that as part of their process. But for me, 
I'm kind of those writers, by the way. Yeah, exactly. For me, I'm <laughs> I'm also getting in the car and putting my seatbelt on and going, huh, I wonder what I'm gonna find out about these characters, about me, about the world. Like this is gonna be a good time, hopefully. I mean, it's gonna have some probably eek moments to it, yeah. but yeah. overall I find that process entertaining. And it leads me to kind of ask you this question. I know that you and I both have lots of ideas of various sizes. And I'm Mm -hmm. curious how you go from all these great ideas and these scraps of paper to, you know, the dreaded blank page where we have to build something that someone else can understand. Yeah. And how do you make that leap? I think when I get to the point where I've got an idea that's sticky enough that I've been, like you said, beginning to obsess about it, my next step is to figure out the who. Who is the character that I care about here? Um, I wrote a novel a number of years ago that was um, that started out in a very simple concept of I was trying to write a story about stealing water. And I started to build a world around it. And I said, OK, well, let's make it easier. Let's say we're going to steal ice. And then I said, well, let's make it a little worse. Let's make it a lot of ice. Let's make it Mm. the biggest heist of ice ever. So let's steal an iceberg. Mm -hmm. That story is about a character who is working through grief in the actions that they're taking to solve a crime, Mm -hmm. which is not what I thought when I started. (laughs) When I started with the character that I, I wound up writing about, I just thought it would be really cool to have a helicopter pilot who is chasing down these guys who are trying to steal an iceberg. Mm -hmm. And then I started to pick at that character and go, well, why on earth would she do that? And then as I worked through all that, I found their wound unexpectedly. And once I found that, I was in. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Two years. (laughs) End of paper. Nose to the grindstone. Let's make it work. So, What I think is a really fun kind of paradox about my own writing process is I often start with a character and a character in a specific setup. And the paradox is working forward and working backwards simultaneously. I enjoy taking a protagonist and kind of pushing them through all these different dramatic scenes, conflict, and kind of, oh, what's going to happen next? What's going to happen next? But what's so funny is that to discover what's going to happen next, you have to look into the past. I always think of fiction writing as sort of standing in a tunnel of funhouse mirrors, and you can sort of see a vision of yourself, a hundred mirrors in the the front of you, and then a hundred versions of you in the back, and you don't really know exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. I'm making fiction writing sound like just so much fun. (laughs) (laughs) Just get get lost there. It'll be great. It'll be easy. Yes. No, it's, a, I mean, it is, it's a carnival, right? It's a roller coaster. It's a carnival yeah. all at once. I like that analogy of like finding character in the, in the funhouse mirrors, because I do think that there is that thing that we do as writers, as, as you work through each scene, as you work through each moment with a character, each one of those is like a layer of a funhouse mirror. Talk to me a little bit about how do you generate your characters? Like, do you just, does somebody just pop into your mind or do you just pick somebody you know, you're walking down the street and you're like, oh, you, you look interesting. Maybe you fit in my book kind of thing. Yeah, that's an interesting question. And I think it depends. 
The way I generate character is I always am going to start from some point that feels grounded in reality, whether it's a physical detail or a job or an attitude. And often it's a voice. I hear these people's voices in my mind and I start writing them down. So you have something that feels solid. And then when I get to the page, there's always a deviation that I wasn't expecting. And when I start to think about what that person looks like or where they live or what their job might be or who the people closest to them are, that's where I will often early on discover something significant that I did not see out of the gate. I agree with everything you just said, and and it's so interesting. I find for myself, I often will have somebody in my head that is my starting point. And my propensity is generally to take that character through a scene or two, just straight up, just to see kind of what happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And then to kind of throw that away and start again, because they usually reveal something, like you said, that I don't expect. Yeah. Um, But... I will say the other propensity that I have is to say, I I try very hard to say, oh, I'm starting with this person in my real life. That never works for me, hmm. just for, for clarity's sake. But the exercise of doing that is a really helpful exercise because it unveils to me who the character needs to be. Mm-hmm. The sparks yeah. that we talk about are generated by us doing the work. Mm-hmm. Right. They're generated by us observing the world and asking hard questions and then testing those things. But some of that is just iteration. Right. And it and then seeing what really sticks. Yeah, I think testing is the key word there. And for every scene that makes it into a draft and I don't even think a first draft, every scene that makes it into the third or the fourth draft has been written four or five different ways. Some might say it's inefficient, um, but we don't come to fiction writing for efficiency. We come come for the joy. Uh, And you sit down and you start pushing the characters to do what you think they're going to do. And it's that testing until you get to a place where you think, oh, okay, this feels a little more solid. But I go through, you know, at least a half a dozen drafts of a lot of scenes until I feel like I've gotten someplace that feels believable and credible for the characters involved. What you just said is absolutely true and absolutely such a part of my process. I will say the thing that I found for the long works that I've done, one thing that is held true for all of those is that not the inciting incident, but the climax or catharsis moment of the character. Mm. That's the idea that's been stickiest for me. Um, And when I can get to a point where this is the moment where that character is going to change, right? This is the thing that is going to be the, my, my life, my world, my, everything has now changed because of this. That's the thing that I get obsessed with. Well, that sounds really nice. I don't have that process. Um, I uh, I have fewer safety nets than that. I often start with a setup and an inciting incident, but it's not always genuinely clear to me what that climax is going to be, what the catharsis or even what the change is. Security is not a word I would use. I mean, <laughs> I've I've definitely I've definitely had failed projects. I guess what I'm trying to say is 
you find your in, insertion point in the projects. Yeah. For me, the stickiest thing is I don't always know where I'm starting, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So I don't know that there's necessarily like there's no safety net here. It, it's still yeah. iterative and everything else. And there have definitely been failed attempts along the way. I have to know that there's a change coming that mm-hmm. is worth that's worth the journey. Yeah, I'm curious if you have any, you know, we've talked a lot about our own processes and yeah. our own ideas and explorations. Have you ever had a writer come to you and say, you know, I have this idea or I'm thinking about writing a book? Mm-hmm. And do you have a specific approach that you use to kind of help somebody take that big idea and and make it concrete? Yeah, I mean, I you and I have both gone through this in different ways. Um, you know, I I feel very blessed to work with a lot of creative people and a lot of creative venues and um and more often than not, they usually have a character and a premise and maybe a few plot points that they're excited about. Mm-hmm. And and my first question for them is always, what's the worst thing that could happen to this character? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's figure out, like, what would be the worst thing in that situation to happen to them? Mm-hmm. And how do you take that and unveil your character, unveil your plot? Yeah, I'm always pushing people. I I like roller coasters, um, but I don't want any of these little like rinky dink, you know, local carnival things. I'm like, take me to Six Flags, get me all the way up so I can see the whole landscape (laughs) and then drop the floor out and let's see how fast we can go. Add a few loop-de-loops. Have I told you that I'm afraid of heights? (laughs) I am too. That's the whole point. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I will. I won't join you on the roller coaster, but I will <laughs> join you on the make it worse carnival ride, at yeah. least uh, metaphorically. I think yeah. that's a great question. What is the worst thing that can happen to this character? In my teaching experience, I have encountered students who've developed characters who they really care about, which I think we do all care about our characters in different ways, especially the characters that represent parts of us. Yeah. At the same time, we cannot protect those characters your characters are going to suffer. And if they don't, you're not going to have the story that you need to have to keep the reader entertained. The most interesting stuff happens when people, humans are pushed to the brink. And that's where great story comes from. I think the idea of making it worse is somewhat antithetical. It's just you're tapping into a part of your own artistic self that's like, ah, ha, 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 I'm going to do the worst (laughs) things possible. Yeah. But there is also the thing of like, for me, the salve to that is you're taking your character to the brink so that you can let them transform into the next version of themselves. The journey to get there is the part of the novel that becomes the most compelling, right? Mm -hmm. That's the reason, that's the reason people tell stories. And that's the reason that people enjoy stories is because they want it. They want to know how did this character, this very simple, frail character transform into this amazing other character? How did they get from point A to yeah. point B? Yeah. Um, what do you do when you have a student who comes to you and says, I think mm-hmm. I have a story idea here, and I think I know where I'm going with this, but I'm not sure. I have a couple different techniques, and uh, there are some students and writers I work with who like to rib me a little bit because often my advice to people is to just keep writing, Mm -hmm. which can be unsatisfying. (laughs) 
That being said, I think depending on the situation, something more directed can be useful. And there are a couple of resources that I go to. One that I really like, but I think can be a little bit challenging and overwhelming for people is write the first scene and write the last scene. Mm -hmm. Who cares about what you don't know? Just see what's going on in there and what the feelings are and maybe what the change is. And in a less kind of extreme version of that, there are a number of craft books that have really great writing prompts, like character discovery prompts. Mm -hmm. These questions that feel a little bit less high stakes than write the ending of a book or write the Mm -hmm. ending of a story, but that quickly raise the emotional stakes. Mm -hmm. Um, What's the secret you've never told anyone? That prompt for a character, you can discover some really explosive stuff that pretty quickly starts to lead to, oh, I'm going to write this scene and then I'm going to introduce this character. So smaller prompts to tease out some of these more explosive details and and character um, aspects, I think, can be really helful. Yeah. I find it's it fascinating when you have a character that you're a little bit obsessed with and they're not letting you in. Yeah. I've certainly had that. I suspect you have too, mm-hmm. where it is like, oh, I've got a really interesting premise and I have a character who is going to be in this premise and whether they like it or not, I'm going to put them there, right? Yeah. <laughs> And and those are the stories to me that, like, if you can crack that, really generally have legs. Um, but also there are times where you can't crack it. That's OK. You know. Yeah, I often say to people and by people, I mean myself, um, <laughs> where does the foundation feel solid? So mm-hmm. I have a number of imaginary friends. I'm working on a lot of different kinds of stories. And I know something about each of those characters. I don't know everything. But when I'm struggling with that reveal and I can't get a character to quite let me know about this part or that part, I go to where I do know what the character is going to do and start from someplace that feels a little more solid and then push them inch by inch kind of off that Mm -hmm. steady ground. Yeah. The other one for me is I'll do the thing where I try and just get more and more specific. I try and sharpen the Mm, pencil. Yeah. Right. So instead of saying, okay, this character is a mother living in a town in New Jersey, I will say, oh, this person is a 48-year-old mother of two children, um, and she's been living in a, you know, Jersey Shore town in a cottage in the middle of winter. Okay, so just just getting a little bit more specific about, like, digging into that often helps to unveil or, you know, show some opportunities to kind of crack that shell. I agree with that. And as you said that, I pictured her in this cottage alone on the shore and I thought, let's have a weather event. Let's make the power go out. Let's make her need to do something to protect herself or survive. And then, you know, I think it's a great example of how once you start to dig on those specifics, story and action and conflict present themselves and that's part of the reason why it's fun to do the observation game of when you are looking at a stranger or you're observing a conversation or you're listening in, you have those specifics at your fingertips, mm-hmm. right? Yep. You can just go for a walk around your neighborhood and find a thousand yeah. stories, which is the blessing and the curse of a writer. Exactly. Right? And I, for me, it's the added blessing of look at this world we live in. There's a lot right now that's not great. but mm-hmm. 
there's billions of people on the planet and they're all stars of their own stories and colliding into other people's stories. And I, it sounds cheesy, but I find that really cool. I, I agree a hundred percent. You can pass the cheese over here anytime. Um, I want to ask you one last question before sure. we um, kind of wrap this up. When you think about your novel, why are you the right person to tell that story? I'll be honest. I think a lot of people could write the story that I'm writing. And I think this particular story traffics in some of my personal obsessions and also comes with a voice and a sharpness that I don't really see out there in the world right now. I think what you're describing is about authenticity. Mm, and yeah. it's about what is it that makes your writing authentic to you? And I think the closer you get to that, there's no one else that can write that story, right? Yeah, yeah. Because it's authentic to you. Yeah, yeah. Is that how you feel about, I mean, is that your answer to the question, why are you the right writer to tell the story that you're working on? I think for me, the, the project I'm working on right now is a deeply personal project where I've poured a lot of um, lived experience into the work. And that doesn't mean that the story couldn't be told through another author's hand. It just means that it would be a different story. And, yeah. and that's still and that's still a valid story. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I think one of the things you're touching on, which is you get to hold on to your idea. It's much more about being the keeper of your story. And mm -hmm. I think we all have the right to tell the stories we want to tell and explore the things that we want to explore on the page. And maybe that's for a long period of time, that might be just for us. You're you're hitting on the heart of it in a lot of ways of find that idea that you're obsessed with and see if it's a story that you want to tell. Gosh, it was, this was fun. So fun to talk to you today. This has been fantastic, Julia. Thank you for a really great conversation as always. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed this conversation, we hope you'll subscribe and share. We'll be back again soon with more thoughts on living a creative life. To learn more about us, you can find our links and social media handles in the show notes. Keep writing in the dark. We'll see you there.